What is up, guys? It is the Blue Bloods coming back at y'all with a, with our final episode of our Big 12 in 30 days. We are joined by West Virginia insider and man- managing editor for WVSports.com, which is part of the awesome Rival Sports Network, man. All those websites are amazing, so make sure to go check that out. We are joined by Keenan Cummings. He is with us today, and I just want to say I appreciate you coming on the show, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So we got to start with last season, man. Uh, 2020 was a tough season, I think, for every university, every program around the country. A six and four year was an up and down year, but a bowl win over Army in the Liberty Bowl wrapped up the season. But for you, did this season meet, exceed or fall short of your preseason expectations? Right on the head, actually. Um, I thought West Virginia, if they won last year, you'd consider that a pretty good season. Um, You know, what Neil Brown was left with wasn't necessarily a full cupboard, uh, so to speak. He had to uh, kind of build this program up, took some transfers, really showed some promise at the end of la- at the end of the year before. Uh, finished five and seven, won two games on on the road to close the year. So you had some momentum, still some holes though, uh, plenty of holes on the roster. So West Virginia still had to fill some of that stuff out. So I think getting to six and four, it's that next step. Uh, you feel pretty good about that. But it's a, it's just like Neil Brown's mentioned several times. They've got to hit, you know, they got to go up a notch. You know, you got to you got to continue to show progression, or you're kind of staying in the same place. You know, they've gotten to a certain point. They're in the mid tier of the pack in the Big Twelve. If you want to get to the upper echelon, uh, you got to take another step forward in 2021. I agree. And one of the big steps I saw was to quarterback Jared Doji. I mean, he transferred in from Bowling Green after the 2018 season. He did perform amazing his first year, but this year, top five in passing yards, passing touchdowns, completion percentage for the conference. For you, though, what are your expectations for Jared moving forward going into this season? And do you think, you know, a lot of people think this next QB class is wide open. Do you think he could make a run at being one of the top five quarterbacks going into next year's NFL draft? I would not say that. I think that right now it's more wait and see. You know, you look, you look at Deggie's numbers. He was impressive in areas. He was not so impressive in others. Um, at this point, I think the way that you look at him is he's a re- really good quarterback at doing what needs to be done. He understands the system. He gets rid of the football quick, and he doesn't turn the ball over uh, outside of that Army game. He finished the season on a bad note, but – he does those type of things, but you want to see him kind of elevate those around him. Um, really kind of took some of the safe throws. I think he was 18 for 60 on passes over 20 yards last year, so you need to improve on the deep ball. And the big thing they focused on, you know, this spring and really since the last season ended is his ability to manipulate the pocket. You know, he doesn't have to be Michael Vick or, or anything like that, but he needs to be able to move around in the pocket, extend play and get the football down the field, which watching the spring, I think he was able to do that. I think he's a guy that West Virginia can win games with him. I don't know if they win games because of him, and that's where he needs to get. He's got to get to the point where, you know, you're not just saying, hey, this guy managed the game well, or this guy can distribute the ball in a safe fashion. You need to say, hey, we need to score seven points to tie this game up. You got two minutes we can count on Jared Deggie to do that. I think that's where he is as a quarterback right now. And like you said, you look at the numbers, in a way they're kind of deceptive. I don't want to say he played 
poorly at all. I mean, he was very, very good for what he was, but West Virginia needs him to take that next step if they truly want to compete in that upper echelon, as I mentioned earlier. Right. I know there was a lot of skepticism coming into the season. I know I was we were following West Virginia throughout the year and pro football focus was so high on this kid. There were a few reporters out there that were like, man, this guy's going to be the next big thing. He performed really well early in the season. But when I look at West Virginia last year, man, I look at that defense. There's this narrative surrounding the Big 12 doesn't play defense. Well, that wasn't the case for West Virginia. West Virginia played elite defense last year, top 20 in scoring defense. They led the country in passing yards per game. Tony Fields was one of my favorite players. We covered him at the Senior Bowl. Tyke Smith, Sean Miller, Sean Mahone, all these guys were ballers. How did this defense for you, though, take that next step? And do you expect another lead this season from this unit? I think there's a chance. Um, you look at what West Virginia has returning. Um, some of those guys you mentioned, you know, they're gone. Yeah. Um, they're out. They've lost three guys to transfer. They've lost two guys to Tampa. So they have some guys that have, that have gone, but they've replaced them with guys. Um, you look at Tyke Smith, was an excellent player, but you're, you're, his replacement is Scotty Young. He was a three-year starter at Arizona, played, played excellent there, was one of the standouts of spring. You know, I don't know if you can just replace a guy like Darius Stills. But they do have guys. Uh, Key Mesidor was a breakout freshman last year. He slid inside. Um, you look at cornerback, they, they've got some guys coming back. Um, Jackie Matthews, uh, he started the bowl game in place of Drayshon Miller. Played very well. Um, they're bringing in an FCS All-American through the transfer portal and Charles Woods. So they've shored up a lot of their needs. They still have some. I think they need to try to find another linebacker. Uh, maybe another defensive back to fill out depth. But a lot of names that you recognize from last year are back. Another year in the scheme. I think this has a very good chance to be another very good defense for Gordon Leslie. Uh, you saw, you know, the makings of what the 2020 defense could be at the end of 2019. And that only carried over, you know, even with all the stuff that happened with Vic Coning and a departure and all that. And now 2021 has a chance to be, I don't want it's 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 not fair to say you know this is a lock to be a top five defense again because I mean come on that's not the way football works but I do think they have a very good chance to be one of the better defenses in the Big Twelve based on their personnel and based off what they brought in. Right, I mean I think it gave them a shot in almost every game they played this year. I would have loved to see that Oklahoma game, that defense going up against Rattler and that passing attack. Another breakout star, though, that really surprised me, I didn't know his name coming into the year, was Letty Brown, the running back. Had a 1,000-yard season for the Mountaineers. Top two in rushing yards, top three in rushing touchdowns for the conference. What do you think clicked for Brown this season, and how was he able to put together this amazing season in a, with, a, with no offseason pretty much due to COVID? Yeah, it really kind of is like you said. It all just clicked. Everything hit at the right time. You know, he had played his first two years. Uh, more sparingly, you know, was kind of that second, third running back. Last year he had a chance to be the man, and, and he was the man. He's always been a big back, always run with power, has deceptive speed with his power, catches the ball well out of the backfield, and he was able to flash all that stuff. You know, West Virginia's offensive line was, for lack of a better term, abysmal in 2019, probably the worst of the modern era. Uh, they had, I think, seven games where they rushed as a team for 51 yards or fewer. I mean, that's just – awful they took massive massive strides last year up front um 
they they raised their yards per carry by a full yard, I think a yard point three, something like that. And Brown's a big reason to that. A lot of his yards generated after contact. You know, he's a guy that can take a hit, keep his feet moving, and as I said, also a weapon out of the backfield. He's a guy that if he puts together another thousand yards in ten games, uh, which is not easy to do. If he can put together another one, he's a guy we might be talking about next year for for the NFL draft because he has the profiles. His speed, he's not a burn. Eighty-seven-yard touchdown in Kansas. I know it's Kansas, but uh, you don't score eighty-seven-yard touchdown runs by accident. So he he can move a little, and uh, he's just he's such a complete back. He's really developed and molded his game to become what West Virginia needs it to be. Right. And I mean, when I look at all the players that bring it in, the development of this program, I look at Neil Brown, who was hired from Troy after turning that program into a monster at, you know, the group of five level. They even beat LSU in Death Valley his last year there. I mean, Neil has been the head coach here. You mentioned 11 and 11 bowl win in his two seasons. What was your initial reaction when Neil was named the head coach? And what do you think makes him so successful as a head coach? I think excitement was the best way to describe West Virginia's reaction. Um, They really wanted to get Neil Brown. uh, Thought he was the exact kind of guy that would build the program in quote unquote the right way. Uh, You know, kind of a little bit different than Dana handled it. He's going to recruit high kids. He's going to develop guys over time. He's what you like to see. You know, even NFL teams are going this route now, the CEO type. You know, he has his hands on everything. Uh, very detail-oriented guy. Uh, pretty much, if something happens in the program, Neil Brown knows about it. Uh, oversees pretty much all aspects. And he builds the thing, like I mentioned, the right way. You know, he's developing kids, getting them to the point where where they're almost there. You can see a lot of these guys they've brought in. You look at West Virginia's recruiting the last two years, um, they've had smaller classes, but if you go by average star rating on the rival system, which is pretty much quality per recruit, they're number three and number one all time in West Virginia history since rivals started tracking this stuff in 2002. So bringing in some very talented players, doing it the right way. And I think the ceiling here is, you know, he if you continue on this progression, let's just say West Virginia, you got six wins last year. You take that to eight or nine this year. Now, you're talking about one of those progressions you've seen some similar to Iowa State in a sense that, you know, it didn't happen immediately. They had to do it by building in players, bringing players along. But you can see that the program is almost where he wants it to be from a personnel standpoint. Now it's just about kind of refining that and continuing to bring in better players as they move forward. Yeah, I mean, you talk about bringing in better players. National Signing Day wrapped up in February for the 2021 cycle. The Mountaineers signed a top 40 class. It was top five in the Big 12. You mentioned that O-line. They got Wyatt Millam, a very, very talented offensive tackle, which headlined the class, along with wide receiver Caden Prather. They also hit the transfer portal, got two really, really big impact transfers what were the biggest positional needs for you, though, for this program? And are there any freshmen you foresee making a significant impact this year? Yeah, I think there are. I think Caden Prather at wide receiver is going to play. Uh, I never like to project guys are going to start. I think that's, you know, it's not fair to the kid. But I think he's going to play. He has a chance. I mean, the guy looks like a million bucks already. Six foot three, six foot four wide receiver that can really run. Four-star guy. I had offers for practically everybody. Um I think Wyatt's going to play. Um, I don't know how much, but 
as Zach Fraser showed last year, you can play as a true freshman in today's college football on the line. It used to be almost unheard of, but you can do it. I think some of these guys that are that are in went through spring ball. You know, Davis Mallinger is going to play at safety. Um, probably Andrew Wilson Lamp will get some burn at corner. So they have a lot of talented players, and you mentioned the transfers too. I mean, it goes without saying Doug Nestor is going to play for West Virginia. Uh, Lance Fields or uh, Lance Dixon. I keep saying Fields for some reason. Lance Dixon is going to play. Uh, I guess I got the Browns on, on my mind. That's my team. They drafted, <laughs> they drafted Tony. So uh, Lance Dixon's going to play linebacker for Penn State. Um, Charles Woods, as I mentioned earlier, he's going to play. And they've still got spots to fill. Um, they've got three spots to fill, and I think you'll see him fill, fill all three of those. So West Virginia's recruiting is definitely on the upswing. Right now the class is ranked, I think, 30th in the nation with only five commitments. They can take a full class this year. So – I went as far in my – I do a, a column each week called 3-2-1. My prediction is West Virginia is going to have a top 25 class this year, and I, I feel kind of bullish on that. I think I think they will um, based on – you look at who they're bringing in for official visitors and stuff once June opens up. It's as talented as a group as I've ever seen, and I've been doing this for over a decade. So. Right. I, I think – the Neil Brown hire was a knockout of the park. This guy can recruit. He was recruiting well at Troy. Now you give him a program like West Virginia, which has done this. I mean, it's been at the pinnacle of college football before. So we're, let's get into next season. We just saw the spring game for the Mountaineers this past weekend. There were some stars. Winston Wright popped off the screen for me, watching going through some of the game that I was watching. But for you, though, what were your biggest takeaways and what storylines were you paying most attention to for this spring game? I think you had to watch the quarterbacks. I mean, you always have to watch the quarterbacks. You know, we mentioned Daggy and his numbers. You know, a lot of fans, they want to see him mentioned before. I mean, he can be a very good player. He showed that at times that he could be a very good player. I guess people put it in West Virginia terms is take that leap and be more in that Geno Smith, Will Greer can dominate a game level as opposed to a guy that's going to manage things and, you know, and if that's possible, but Garrett green is the other quarterback. They got a lot of buzz, very, very athletic, completely in the opposite mold of what, if you could take Jared and you could take Garrett and put them together, they'd be the perfect quarterback for what West Virginia wants <laughs> uh, athletic. And then of course, with what Jared does, taking care of the football, making good throws, that type of deal. So, We'll see what happens there. Uh, I was watching the receivers, too, and the offensive line. I'm always watching the lines just because I think it's interesting. You know, West Virginia's been trying to build depth up front. I feel like I say this almost every year. Well, I don't, but the coaches do. But I actually believe this year that West Virginia's getting to the point where they might have eight or nine guys that they can play up front. Um, coaches say it every year. You know, if you covered a team, they always talk about depth in spring ball and fall, and then you get to the season, they're playing five or six guys. So, I think this year they're close. Um, the defense, I was interested in how Scotty Young would do. I mean, obviously he has a lot of experience. He was one of the standouts of the spring. Um, I think that speaks a lot for him as a player. And also West Virginia in the sense that they had a guy ready to go when you have a potential All-American guy like Tyke Smith decide he's going to go to Georgia. So depth, I think West Virginia is in a pretty good spot. They need to fill a couple things, but overall – I think this team has a chance to be pretty good. I mean, you look at the schedule, they've got some tough games. It's not easy. Um, playing Oklahoma, This might be the best Oklahoma team since West Virginia's been a member of the Big 12, and that's saying a lot considering they've been to the college football playoffs several times. Iowa State will be experienced, loaded. Texas is always good. 
I mean, so there's there's going to be challenges there, but I feel like West Virginia is ready to take that leap and possibly get into that eight or nine win mark. Right. And, you know, looking at the next season, we saw breakout stars like Letty Brown we talked about earlier. Coming into this season, though, are, do you think there's any players that myself, our listeners, experts are overlooking and that could really shine and have their breakout season this year? It's a good question. I, I guess it de- depends on how you define a breakout. I think really Akeem Mesidor mentioned earlier, he had a really good freshman year. I think he's ready to be that guy for West Virginia up front. I think he has a chance to be really special. Josh Chandler, Sumito, uh, another guy that's played a lot but I think he's ready to be the guy at linebacker for West Virginia. Uh, Jackie Matthews on defense uh, at corner. Yeah, he only he only started one game, but he really looked good this spring and really solidified. You know, you lost Trayshawn Miller, and then you had another guy that's been in the program now two years that took that off. And then on offense, you kind of go back and kick around some of the same names. I think Caden Prather has a chance, Sam Brown at wide receiver. You already mentioned Winston Wright. I guess technically he wouldn't count because he was one of their better receivers last year, but was often overlooked. And when you talk about the West Virginia wide receiver room, you didn't really mention him as much, but he has a chance to be pretty good as well. So I think there's a lot of guys. If West Virginia can hit on a lot of these guys I'm talking about, you have a pretty good team. Uh, It's a matter of some of these guys taking the next step because there's some freshmen too that are going to have a chance. And I mentioned, of course, I don't think Doug Nestor would count. You know, he started two years at Virginia Tech. So, Defining breakout is a little difficult to me just because there's so many ways you can do it. But I think that West Virginia has a chance. I, I do. I, I'm, I guess, cautiously optimistic about where this team could go in, in 2021. I think that there's going to be a lot of challenges. There's going to be a lot of difficulties, and they've got to fill some spots. I think they need another linebacker or they need Lance Dixon to step up in a big way, which he might not be ready for that. But We'll see. Uh, I feel a lot better about this team now than I did in January. I guess I'll put it that way. Yeah, I was. I'm not going to lie, but before, like, I was doing research coming into this, I was a little worried because I'm an Auburn fan, so I know we got Dre Sean Miller. Uh, we cover a lot of SEC football on this podcast. I understood, you know, Taki Smith heading to Georgia. I'm like, how do you replace, especially Taki Smith? I think he has a potential to be a first round pick. I think, like you said, they've done that well have a lot of talented guys on this on this roster but looking ahead to 2021 you mentioned it a little bit beforehand they do have a brutal schedule this team I think the two non-conference games could be tricky a road game against Maryland who we've saw knock off Texas two straight years and let's just be honest Virginia Tech is never going to be just a rollover game you're going to have you're going to have to go in there you know they're coming to you guys you're going to have to play your best game Road games, Oklahoma, TCU, Kansas State's always tricky in Manhattan. So for you, I know you mentioned the eight-win mark is a reasonable estimate. Do you think that's the ceiling for this team? And or what do you think the floor could be for this 2021 team? I think you need to get eight eight wins to get that. You know, they have a mantra here, trust the climb. It's pretty much what Neil Brown said since he's taken over. If you want people to really continue to trust that climb, because you know, you know how fans are, man. I mean, it's different than when you're looking at the prism of media, uh, the, the lens of a media. I mean, because we look at things and you look at progression over time. Fans want immediate results. I mean, you look across college football. Some some coaches winning nine and ten games isn't enough some places. So I think to keep that ball rolling, because, you know, educated fans can see, you know, they're recruiting better. 
They're bringing in good players. You look at the raw numbers and practically everywhere across the board in West Virginia from 2019 to 2020, drastically improved. In fact, uh, I think I read in the media release that West Virginia was the most improved team cumulatively on offensive and defensive statistics from 2019 to 2020. But what's the only thing that really matters? Wins. And they only jumped one. I know it was a shortened season, and West Virginia likely wins two more games if they play Florida State and Maryland last year. But they only see, you see one win. So if you're looking at it from far away, you need to find a way to try to get to that eight mark. I think eight, nine is probably the ceiling. Uh, and things just break entirely their direction. You know, you never know. Maybe Oklahoma has a lot of injuries. You know, maybe, you know, you never know how things are going to turn out. But I think yeah. if you can hit that eight win mark, you're feeling pretty good about where the program's at heading into the heading into the fourth year. But as you mentioned, the schedule's not easy. I think that Maryland game is absolutely huge for West Virginia. Uh, they, they've had a lot of success against Maryland. They need to win. Uh, Maryland's got questions too. You need to find a way to go on the road and beat the Terps. You do that, you beat Virginia Tech, and then you find a way to win five more conference games. Because I'm going to go ahead and say Long Island win. Five conference games, finish five and four. That's a good year for West Virginia, considering you know what you got and uh, what the schedule holds. Right, and if that defense lives up to all the hype, man, you're going to be in every game. So if there's an upside or two, that's possible. We also don't know what's happening with Texas with their quarterback situation. First-year head coaches are always tricky. I think Kansas State with Skylar Thompson is going to be a big question mark. Is he going to be fully healthy? So there's a lot of really, really interesting storylines surrounding this conference, which brings me to my next one. Always like asking people across different conferences this question because, you know, being an Auburn alum, my co-host is an L, you know, is an LSU guy. You know, being in the SEC, we're spoiled. There's like this narrative that the SEC is untouchable. It's the best conference, even though I don't necessarily know if that's 100 percent true for you, though. We saw last year Oklahoma get left out of the college football playoff as a big tw- a guy who covers Big 12 football. Why do you think the Big 12 sometimes gets overlooked in terms of parity and competitiveness? Because when I look at the Big 12, I see Iowa State, I see West Virginia, Kansas State, Texas, TCU. All these teams are a lot better than I think the average fan gives them credit for. For you, though, how should the Big 12 go about changing that perception of it's Oklahoma or nobody? Yeah, I think it's a good question to ask, really. I mean, if you look at it, I mean, at the top, it has been Oklahoma more times than not. And they've handled themselves fairly decently, you know, playing other leagues. You know, they, they've, they've beaten quite a few SEC teams and vice versa. And I think you look at the out-of-conference numbers for the Big 12, they've done a pretty good job out-of-conference. And I think that when you look at the Big 12, a lot of people forget that they play an actual round. You know, they, they play every team. Uh, you, you don't get, you know – "Quote unquote bye weeks by playing the bottom of the of another division, like you do in other leagues. And I know obviously they have Kansas, which is pretty much a bye week. But you know you don't miss Texas, you don't miss TCU. You know you have to play them every year. And when you're stuck in the middle of the pack like that, it it leads to a lot of eight and four, seven and five. You know that doesn't mean they're not quality football teams. It's kind of like the Big Twelve in basketball. I mean they play a true round robin. Um, obviously. Obviously, you know, there's more name recognition there, and Baylor just won the national championship. But it's it comes down to, you know, who they play. And you look at a lot of these Big 12 teams out of conference. You know, 
I look at some leagues and they're playing like two FCS teams and a group of five teams. You look at West Virginia this year, they're playing two power five teams and, and an FCS team. And that's the really, if you go look at most of the schedules, that's the case in most places outside of Baylor. They, they're notorious for just scheduling a bunch of cupcakes. But <laughs> I think some of it is just kind of set, man. Perceptions are something that are hard to change. You know, I hear all the time, you know, about the SEC. Well, the SEC, you go to the SEC, you can get drafted. No, it has nothing to do with playing in the SEC. It's the fact the SEC recruits so many good players. Good players get drafted. Uh, That's the fallacy. I mean, people think they're going to go to the SEC and get drafted. No, it's because you're a good player. And a lot of those teams, you look at at those 14 teams, I would roughly say, what, eight to nine of them are some of the top recruiting teams in the nation every year. I mean, you look at Oklahoma. People get drafted from Oklahoma and Texas probably because they recruit really good players. So it's the cumulative effect of it all. And I don't think you're ever going to knock the SEC out of that top spot because, as I mentioned, they get the best players. But in a sense, I think the Big 12 can have a lot of success, and they have really in, in most bowl games. I think the thing that really hangs over people's heads is Oklahoma to winning several college football playoff games but can't get over that hump. Yeah. Yeah, that's that that is a that is a big problem. But I mean, I like how you said it. I mean, good players are going to get drafted. I mean, Northwestern had two first round draft picks this year. And I mean, look, look at what they're doing. The Big 12 has a lot of draft picks. I just I like that Jalen Waddle, whether he goes to Baylor, whether he goes to Texas, whether he goes to Alabama, he's probably going to be a draft pick, like you said. So I like that you made that point. But Last question here, man. I haven't made it to a game because I've never been close enough to reasonably go, but I want to. I, it's one of the coolest environments I think in college football, underrated. Morgantown, West Virginia, man. Uh, Millen uh, Pusker Stadium is a, such a unique environment on game day. When I watch the thing, I love the strike the stadium. I like the energy they bring. When I was a kid, I remember watching Rich Rodriguez in there. That 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 place was just bananas. So what makes this environment, this city, so unique on game days? You kind of mentioned most of it. I mean, it, it's such a passionate fan base. And I know everybody claims that. Everybody claims that. I mean, I get it. You know, West. we were talking about the SEC. West Virginia profiles in their fan base like an SEC team. I mean, it's it's West Virginia sports year-round. There are no pro teams here. West Virginia is the pro team. I mean, the amount of people you – know, you could walk over to, you know, uh, your next-door neighbor, your 80-year-old grandmother, and she knows the names of players and what's going on. I mean, that's West Virginia football. People live, eat, and breathe it, and it's always been that. As I've been here, I grew up in the state, you know, uh, back back before I got into the old media deal. You know, I was West Virginia fan. And that, that's the way it works. I mean, if you're if you're from here, there's a little pocket in Huntington that, that is Marshall people. But the rest of the state uh, is pretty much all West Virginia. And you bring them together. It becomes the largest place in the state on game day. Uh, 60, 63,000, I think, is what they hold now. Uh, you bring it in. uh atmosphere is crazy tailgating scene is ridiculous um i remember some lsu and auburn fans when they came up you know a few years back for for their home and homes and they were just blown away at the environment expect that for you know i guess for little west virginia so if you haven't been to a game i recommend it uh great traditions great fan base uh and really it's just gotten to the point where 
if you haven't been to a game, you probably should because you, you'll have a good time. I mean, tailgating scene's phenomenal. Whenever, let's hope that can resume this fall. But you know, as long as everything's normal, uh, I recommend you doing it. There's a lot of cool things in the, in the town and the city too. It's 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 your quintessential college town. Right. I, I definitely want to come. My favorite. I mean, as someone who you know was growing up when that Auburn West Virginia you know, home and home thing was going on. Those are some of the best games I think Auburn fans overlooked. The rain game and Jordan Hare was just arguably one of the best games of that year. Then y'all went and just smacked us. I, I, I'm from Mobile, so Pat White just haunts my nightmares forever with what he did to that defense. So I appreciate, you know, I got to appreciate West Virginia for that, giving me heart attacks every time. I was like, man, they're on the schedule. That kid's really, really good. But I appreciate you coming on, man talking all things West Virginia football with me. Where can our fans find you? I know the website is amazing. Where can they find you on social media and the website? Yeah, you can go to www.wvsports.com. That's the website. That's the Rivals affiliate of West Virginia. I serve as the managing editor there. been there for well over a decade. Stuff We pretty much have three to five stories per day uh, covering West Virginia sports. Uh, Football, recruiting, basketball, yeah, you name it. And you can find me on Twitter at Rivals Keenan. That's Rivals Keenan. One word. Awesome, man. Guys, go follow Keenan. West Virginia is going to be a program you're going to want to follow. They're one of those programs you got to follow them in basketball and football. They are at the top at both. It's so, so competitive. And the Big 12, man, in basketball is just hitting, I think, a high note right now. It's a grind, man. I, that, I don't think – Really, if you don't follow it, people realize how tough that league really is. Uh, it's, I mean, I, I remember West Virginia in the Big East uh, when they had some really good teams. But it's kind of like I was mentioning about, you know, some of these leagues in football. You also got a Seton Hall or a Providence or one of those teams you could bully around. Really, in the Big, the big 12 in basketball, Kansas State was bad this past year. But usually pretty much eight of the nine teams you're going to play are, are good basketball teams. I think seven of the ten made it this year in the tournament. So, And the national yeah, champion. So. Yeah, and the and, and national championship. Kansas State made a, made a elite eight final – well, not final four, an elite eight run like two or three years ago. Yeah, they're, so they're, they're usually just, pretty good under Bruce, but they – they had a lot of guys leave, and they they were a mess. But, hey, they even beat a few teams. It's a yeah. tough league. It really is. I, I think if, you, if you're if you just a college basketball fan, I recommend giving you know, give it a watch. You'll enjoy it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, guys, make sure to go follow All Thing Keenan and West Virginia football. Y'all know where to find us. This wraps up our Big 12 and 30 days. Tomorrow we kick off our Pac-12 and 31 days with Washington. So make sure to tune into that, too. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, and you can find the audio version of this on all podcast streaming platforms. But for Keenan, myself, and the Blue Bloods guys, we are out.